When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, about a month ago, almost exactly, on February 2nd, was our birthday. We turned 20 this year. Scum of the earth has been around for 20 years. And so we had this giant party where we took every couch in the building and we spread it around and we sat Mike in the corner like, um, I don't know, like, you know when Cookie Monster sits in the corner and he's telling you a story? It was like that. Like, we set Mike over there, we put a lamp, and he told us the story of Scum, you know, like how, how it started. Um, what he told us is that Scum came from this group of people that, there were, were young adults that just infiltrated his Presbyterian church. They decided they needed to join a group, and so they entered his small group, and he was like, these are some weird people. Um, one of them was Reese Roper. Most of them were the Five Iron Frenzy kids. And they, they were playing music in bars, playing this weird ska music, which was cutting edge at the time. And um, he started being their pastor. They invited him to their shows. And if you know Mike, he, he doesn't look like he belongs there. He was wearing jean shorts and like a t-shirt. And um, he's this giant Greek man and sticks out like a sore thumb. But he brought these kids together and was bringing, the, these kids were bringing their friends, all of these weirdos and people they met in bars, they were coming to this Presbyterian church, and then there was a change of power. And they kind of didn't want these guys there. I'm like ashamed to say that, that um, Mike got fired, and they were like, you need to do something with these kids. And so all of them were hanging out in his living room one night, and he was like, they were like, well, what do we want to do? Um, and it came across that, like, we should start a church for the people that are the right-brained and the left-out, the people that are the marginalized, the other-thens, you know. Um, Jesse, Boy Jesse, in the past has spoken about the monument to beige. That is the, like, the giant church where you show up and everything is tan and the nice, bright and shiny little church people and their little tiny church families doing their little church life, right? Um, that was not these kids, not at all. So they sat around the table, and uh, Mary told us about how she made a meatloaf in the shape of a groundhog because it was Groundhog's Day. And um, they had this discussion about what should church look like, you know. And it, it, there's ridiculous things that came up, like apparently we need mashed potatoes, and um, we need not to have apples in the vending machines, and all of those kinds of things. So we've had mashed potato eating contests and stuff like that, that that came out of that meeting. But what we truly wanted was a place that people can come and feel loved. You know? Um, scum of the Earth, back in the day, was this this idea. They didn't even have a building. They didn't have a space. But he said at their first meeting, they met at this coffee shop, there was a hundred people showed up. Like, it was ridiculous how many people just came because of word of mouth. They didn't have a website. They didn't have flyers or anything yet. They just knew people, and they told their friends, you need to come to Scum of the Earth Church. Um, they, were, they were out there on the streets doing this thing. Um, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, um, it reads, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone 
uh, light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, so that it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is Jesus talking, and this is in the Beatitudes. If you know the Beatitudes, that's the portion of Scripture where Jesus was up on a hill, and he gave this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and he was like talking about those who are poor in spirit, and those who are meek, and those who are whatever, and like the things that they will receive because of the person that they are. And then he said, you guys, you guys are the light of the world. And that is like, that's a huge thing that has always struck me as a very important thing. I, me, Steve, I'm the light of the world. Um... What does that mean? I look at I look at light and I see light as this this comforting thing, right? Like when you're off in the woods and you're by yourself and you're like all the scary monsters are out there and the yorona and whoever is out there, you light a fire and you sit around the fire and it's like, "Oh, this is safety. This is good. This is warmth. This is shelter. This is home." Like you think of the in stories I read a lot of books and like the picture of home is like the hearth you know, like where the fire would happen. And there's a dog laying on the, the rug, and that's where everybody sits around, and that's where family happens. Um, I, l- I looked up the word beatitudes because I don't know what a beatitude is, but it means supreme blessedness. Like these things that Jesus was speaking is like the most, the highest, most blessings that he could give us. Um, also, like, the light of the world is like a lighthouse. There's this thing where the ships are coming, and there's rocks, and there's the lighthouse that warns you, hey, this is dangerous, don't come here. And that saves people's lives, right? Um, we are the light of the world. So, how are we different from the world? Are we living in a way that, like, reflects this light, like, I think of myself as not actually being the physical light, that God himself, Jesus, is the light, and I'm just, I try to shine all of the rusty, gross parts of me so that way that light reflects off of me onto other people so that they see him because of his light. They don't see me because I'm light. They see him. We are called to live differently. We're called to be different. We... We go out into the world, and people are supposed to think, what is wrong with you? <laughs> you know? Like, why would you do that? Why would you say that for me? Like, that's how, that's how we are supposed to behave. Um, we're supposed to be the Jesus kid, like the Jesus person. That is supposed to be the defining part of our being, you know? Like, my relationship with God is the most important part of my life. It's not, uh, it's not my girlfriend. It's not my car. It's not even my job, and I work in a church. It's supposed to be Jesus. That is the primary part. That is the most important part. Um, we should have non-Christian friends. We should be lights in their life. So many of these people in the Temple to Beige, they don't have any Christian friends. They've cloistered themselves off. They've, they've withdrawn from society and they don't affect the world. The light of the world is not supposed to be hidden under a bowl, it says in that scripture. It's supposed to be on a lampstand, and the lampstand takes it, and it puts it up high so everyone can see it. Um, It's ridiculous. Like, one candle can be seen for, like, over 50 miles in the dark. Like, if you go out into the plains and you put one candle, you can see that thing. 
Like, if not for the curvature of the earth, it might go farther. Like, one candle makes all the difference. And that is the, like, that's the direction. That's the where we are leading people in. And people know that light is warmth, and it's home, and it's good. And we're to draw them to that. That one candle can bring people in. So, do you have non-Christian friends? Do they know that you're a Christian? How, how would they know? Um, there's a song, and I think we're going to sing it later, and it's called, They Know We Are Christians By Our Love. And I just, I like it. It's, it's jazzy. It's, it's haunting in a little bit of a way, you know? Like, it's a really good song, but like the message is, is so important. It's like, they know we are Christians by our love, by our love. They will know we are Christians by our love, right? That is like, that's the thing. God is love. And if we have God, that love, and we give it away free like candy, we just throw it to all the little children, and they eat it up, they will know, like, that's the candy man. That's the, the guy, that's the girl that has this thing that is so good and so sweet, so important. Um, I, make, I make it a, a policy of mine that, um, as a pastor, I have meetings. I meet with people. We talk about life. We, I do some counseling. We hang out, and I know people. And we meet in coffee shops or dive bars or diners or places like that. And usually my meetings are about two hours, maybe three. And if I'm meeting at a diner for three hours, that poor waitress, man, like she makes two and a half bucks an hour. And if all I ordered was a cup of coffee, like I'm a jerk, right? And so I have this blanket policy of tipping at least $10. You know, if I bought a $2 cup of coffee and I tip $10, that is loving that person. That is um, showing Jesus' kindness to them. Like, I know, like, I took up your space. But I'm also thinking that I'm here having this conversation with this person who is a believer, and I'm telling them about Jesus and how Jesus would do this and what God thinks about them and all of, all of this stuff. And that waitress might hear that. And if I'm the guy that leaves a tract on the table, you know, it's, it's like the shittiest thing to do to a, a waitress is like that thing that looks like a $20 bill. And it's like, Hey, you want a tip? Here's a tip. Follow Jesus. Like that is a dick move. Like, don't do that. Jesus wouldn't do that. Jesus would leave them $40 and maybe the, the one that says follow Jesus. But like, we need to give lavishly. We need to love on people in a way that they can receive love. Um, that should be um, our battle cry or our mantra for this church is that they will know we are Christians by our love, right? If we love each other well, if we love the world well, then they will know of Jesus. Um, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest of all the commandments? He, um, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. Um, and then he says, the second is likened to the first, and it's like you're to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. And like in, in Judaism, like that's a big deal. Like You say the Shema every week, and you sing the Via Hafta, and that's like the Shema is like the hero Israel part, and the Via Hafta is the stuff that comes after it. And that's like you will write this on the doorposts of your house. This should be on your heart, to love the Lord your God. You're to tell your children when you sit at home, when you walk on the way, when you lie down, and when you get up. Like, this is one of the biggest parts. Like, you say it all the time, and it should be impressed upon us. We should know that we are to love God, right? 
But Jesus says, the second greatest commandment, if you've got God figured out, if you can love God, the next thing that you should try before um, not murdering people, before giving up stealing, before, 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 all of the other things, he's like, love people. That is the most important part. Um, our verse the, that scum of the earth comes from says, when we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. This thing, this thing is love. This is treating somebody the way you would want to be treated. It's treating somebody the way that they deserve, that you deserve to be treated. And we are sacrificing, sacrificing our own um, rights, our own privileges, our own pride to give them the thing they deserve, even though they're not doing that back to us. Um, people suck sometimes, right? But I happen to like people. I'm one of the weird ones that I just love people. They're freaking weird, man. Like, I work at a bar. I, um, I tend the door at a bar, and I check IDs and stuff. Um, I like to go to the mall and just, like, watch people. They're freaks, man. They're so weird, but they're beautiful. Um, I like to find the little things that make them them, you know. I see this person, and I'm like, the way that that person walks, that's totally them. You know, the way that this person smiles is totally them. It's a crooked smile, but that's theirs, you know. Um, I like to look at people's shoes or people's socks because um, people's shoes tell a lot about who they are. Um, if you look at somebody's shoes, you're like, oh, that person, that person's a skateboarder. This person, this person right here really loves his shoes. Look at those things are so clean, Tyler. You're, you just got like, yeah. He's like, takes care of his shoes, you know. This person over here rides horses. This person over here, and you can tell by their shoes, you know. This new fad of socks came out, I don't know, like five or six years ago. People started getting, like, fancy socks with weird prints on them, cheeseburgers and taco cats and stuff. And I love that because who are your socks for? Like, usually they're hidden in your shoes, underneath your pants. Like, that person picked those socks because of themselves. That makes them happy. That makes them laugh. That makes them special. It's like this secret thing that if I can, like, get a glance of your ankle and see your little your little taco on your socks that I can know a little bit about you. It's, it's a thing that I look for. And maybe it's voyeuristic or something, but I, I really like just knowing that that person has their little wild streak underneath their business suit, you know. Um, yeah. Why should we love people? Even, even besides the fact that Jesus was like, you need to love people. Um, like, why, why should we do that? Um, inside each and every one of us is this, this spark off of the divine flame. Um, in Genesis, God was like, let us make man in our image, you know, and he breathed into you the breath of life, right? The breath of life is this thing that distinguishes us between the rest of all of creation. None of the animals, even though you love your dogs and love your cats and all of those things, they're different than us. Jesus didn't come and die for your cat. Jesus came and died for you. 
and he died for her and him and him and her and all of these people. Um, there's this understanding in um, the Jewish teachings that you have, there's, there's, so if you read the, the scriptures in the Hebrew, there's two different words that are translated soul, right? Each of us has a soul, right? Um, but there's a distinction between um, the soul and the, the spirit, maybe. Um, it's hard to translate. There's this word that is the nefesh, and there's this other word that's the nashoma. And the nefesh, that is like your, your, your uh, carnal desires, like your, um, your instincts, your, um, I don't know. It's, it's the things that are um, the fleshly part of your, your body. Um, but the nashoma, that thing is different. That thing is the one that animals don't have. Animals have a nefesh. They come out of the womb knowing how to do things and how to forage and how to um, hunt for food. They're driven by the desire to reproduce. They're driven by the desire to eat and to sleep and to um, be safe, right? Those are your nefesh things. Then the shoma is this spirit that God gave us. And I believe that part of it is the creativity. The part where God said, let us create man in our image was this image of God, the creator. We have this ability to be creative and to choose our socks. We have the ability to make our socks. We have the ability to paint this building ridiculous colors and put things on the wall that have meaning. Um, Animals don't do that. They can't do that. That is the part of God that we have inside us. And each and every person has that thing inside of them. Um... And that makes them valuable. Like, in, in, the, in the, the, the sages have this picture of the spark of God that is our neshoma, that it is this, um, that God is a roaring fire, right? And it is quite literally a spark that comes off of God, and it floats away. And the further we, away we are from God, that thing dims, and it goes out. But if you take that same coal, that same ember, and you bring it back close, it'll light up again. And that is our soul. Our soul is this light. Our soul is this thing that gives light and reflects God and is a picture of God. And that is inside each and every one of us right now. Um, God thinks that you are valuable. He picked you and ordained you specifically. He said, I'm going to make this person, and they're going to look this way, and they're going to... um, be built this way. I'm going to give them these gifts and these things and those things, and it's beautiful. God doesn't make shit. He makes good things. He makes things on purpose. You were built and made on purpose. And not just because we're believers. Everybody out there, each and every person, was made on purpose by God. And because God loves them, I love them. We should love them. Um, human beings have this need built in us, this desire to be loved, like we're built to be loved. Um, we search out for it all the time. All of the music in your playlist is about love or about um, not having love or losing love or being alone. Um, there's some emo kids, so like being alone is like a big deal, right? Um, 
we want to be included as part of the group. Um, people come to this church every week, and there's new people every week. And we, it is our job to include them in the group. Like, this is the family of God, and they are a part of our family, and we should include them. Um, when, I was, when I first came to SCUM, there were two people specifically. Um, one was Eric Webb. He, he plays bass here sometimes. Uh, he got married, and so he's um, off living in Boulder, I think. And, uh, but he comes down every now and then. He was my roommate for a good long time. But he just approached me and was like, hey, you're new. I need to know you. And that was like a really big deal. Um, I hadn't been to a show in a long time. And he was like, I'm going to this show tonight. Do you want to come with me? And I was like, for real, man? I mean, yeah, like, let's, let's do it. And so we went and we saw some other scum kid that had a show. Um, it was uh, Vermilion, if you know, any of you guys know Vermilion. He uh, had a, a band called The Bell Jar. And we went down, down in Rhino and saw The Bell Jar play. And I don't even like their music, but I had an awesome time. You know, I was included. I was invited. Um, another person was Kevin McCloskey. McCloskey's a weirdo, and I will tell him that to his face, and he loves it. Um, but he just, like, approached me and was like, you're standing by yourself. I'm going to stand next to you. And he start, we just engaged in conversations and started talking about weird McCloskey things. And I had been coming for maybe two, two months, maybe like ten weeks. And he was like, hey, man, it's Labor Day next week. Uh, do you want to come on a camping trip? And I was like, for real? That's so weird to me. Why would you invite me to go be alone with you in the woods? Like, is that, that's, that's a strange thing, you know? But I was, I'm, I was trying the church thing out, man. Like, I was trying to be a part of this community. So it was like, any chance that I got, I was craving and I was hungry for. And I was like, yeah, I'll go camping. I don't even like camping, man. Like, I can do it. I'm from Colorado, but, I, man, I'd rather have a cheeseburger and a nap, you know? Like, um... So we went camping, and just like that time, built our relationship. Um, that was very important to me, and it was formative in me being part of this community. And all it took was one weird dude to invite me to some strange thing, you know? Um, when people ask me what I do um, at the church, I love to give them the answer, like, I smoke cigarettes for a living. It is this thing that I do... I stand out on the street corner, out front of this building, out front of the bar, out front of some place, and I smoke a cigarette. Eventually, somebody will walk up to me and be like, hey, man, can I bum a smoke? And I'll be like, yeah, sure, here you go. And, like, I've designed it in such a way that it's like in psychology. Psychologically, I have now paid them for their attention. I have given them something for nothing, and they have to listen to me. It's so great. Um, and I do this thing where I show interest in them. I say... Hey, man, what's your name? Where are you from? What do you do? And they tell me, I'm this, that, and the other. And then they say, I'm from wherever. And they say, I do this thing. If I know about what they do, I, I, intrig- I like engage in that conversation for a little bit. And then I just leave it silent. And they have to ask me now, what's my name? Where am I from? What do I do? So I tell them, hey, I'm Steve. Like I'm born and raised in Denver. I actually went to, to high school four blocks from this building right here. 
And they're like, no way, I've never met anybody from Denver. I've been living here for two years. And it just makes me hang my head and cry just a little bit. But um, then they ask me, what do I do? And I say, I'm a pastor. And they like shake their head like a dog and look at me sideways and like, for real? And I'm like, yeah, um, my church is called Scum of the Earth. And I point at my little button here on my jacket. says Scum of the Earth Church on it. And then people just like open up, man. Like, because... I look the way that they look, but I am a pastor. I have become now this like confidant, this like battle buddy with this person. And I hear so many people's stories just because I said, hey, I'm a pastor, you know? Um, I've been going to the same bar every Monday for about four years now. Um, that's my, that's where I do most of my ministry, quote-unquote. And ministry isn't like I stand on the street corner and I'm like, the end is near, fire and brimstone. You know, look busy, Jesus is coming. That, that's not that thing. Like, I go to a bar and I have, I have a limit. I'm like, I have three drinks because that's my limit. And um, over the course of four or five hours a night, I hang out with some people. I'm a regular there. I don't have to pay for shows at this bar that I go to because they know me. I'm a homie. I'm a good guy. You know, I'm, I'm one of the team. And everybody knows that I'm the Jesus kid, that I am a pastor, that I do this thing. My church is called Scum of the Earth. And they just know. And I just set myself up in a place where, like, when this person hits rock bottom, that they know a guy, right? We all need a guy. Like, if my car breaks down, I got a guy. His name's Rose. He's over there. You know, like, if, uh, if I need something else done, I know a guy. I got a guy with a truck. I got a plumber. I got an electrician. My electrician's back there. Like, I know a guy. I'm that guy for these guys, you know. Um, in truth, like, all I do is I let my light shine before men so they may see my good works and praise my Father in heaven. I have... Three drinks, cost me 12 bucks, and then I tip $10. Like, to tip 40% to the bartender, like, is a big deal to that guy. Like, I have so many dudes that um, just start working there, and, like, they're the new bartender. They don't know how I tip yet. And they're like, man, I owe you a drink. And I'm like, no, fuck you, man. Like, this is for you. Like, uh, yeah, sorry, I got a potty mouth sometimes. Um <laughs> But for real, like, this is for you. This is my gift to you. And they're like, man, that's really cool of you. You know, I could really use it. You know, that whole thing. I was standing out there probably like two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, and we were having a conversation. Me and Rose were out there and talking to some dude about guitar pedals because the guy builds guitar pedals, right? And we were engaged in this conversation. Sprout was there, wherever Sprout is. And uh, hi, Sprout. And uh, they were talking about guitar pedals. And all of a sudden, this one dude comes up to me, and he's like, hey, man, so you're a pastor, right? How'd you get into that? And I was like, I'm talking about guitar pedals over here, man. Like, you really want to do this right now? And so we, like, we go over there, and I start talking to him. And I was like, yeah, man, this is, uh, this is how I got into it. And this is the story that I told him. I told him, um, well, man, like, I grew up in the church. I, I was raised Messianic Jewish. Um, 
I had my bar mitzvah when I was 13. Um, but like in high school, I started getting into drugs. I did all the fun stuff, man. I did opium. I did acid. I did this, that, and the other thing. And I'm telling him this story. Then about 15 years ago next week, I told him. So that was about a week ago. Um, I will be 15 years clean, you know. And I was at this party. I had like I was in college at the time, and I had, I went to School of Mines, and so you got to be smart to go there. So it's not a smart thing to smoke a lot of pot all the time. It makes you stupid. Don't do it. Um, but I had like cleaned up my act for a little bit because I was failing my exams and I needed to do better. But I was at a friend of mine's birthday party. I uh, was hanging out having a good time, and her sister's boyfriend was like, hey, man, do you want to go burn one? And I was like, yeah, I've been good. All my homework's done. I'm at a party. I'm just going to do, like, a little pull, one or two pulls on this pipe and just get a little weird and just, like, have a good time, right? So I go out to the car, stick my head in this dude's truck, and I just took two hits off of this pipe. And by the time I made it back to the front porch, I was, like, tripping balls, man. I was so weird. Like, I got freaked out. Because, like, I'm at a party, and it's not like, woo, party. It was like, no, her fa- her family was there, and they made enchiladas, and, like, everybody knows me. I live two, a block and a half away, you know? Like, I started getting paranoid about they're going to find me out, you know? So I stumbled back to this couch in the back, and I'm sitting on the couch, and I just became this little dude that was locked in my body, and the controls were broken. Like, I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything. And, like, people came up, and they found me, and they were sitting there. I was watching the water boy because that was what was on the TV, but I wasn't, like, engaging with anything. I was just panicking inside my mind, you know. Um, at one point, I look over, and there's this girl that was sitting with me, and um, she, was, uh, she was one of the girls that had smoked with me just, like, just that afternoon. And I look over, and she's breastfeeding her kids. And, like, I was, like, freaking out in my mind. I was, like... The scientist in me was like, it's in the fat cells. If, in, if I'm so messed up, then how come this thing, then why, what's going to happen to that kid? You know, but I couldn't even look over and say, like, hey, that's messed up. Like, I couldn't do anything about it. I sat on that couch for, like, six hours and just, like, couldn't move. I finally stumbled home, and um, I, I don't know. I got so high that I started getting vertigo. I started freaking out. And I prayed that night, like, inside, the little dude inside my body prayed and said, God, if you get me out of this, because I thought I was going to die. Like, I'd done some weird stuff, but this had never happened to me before. And I thought I was going to die. And I was like, God, if you get me out of this, I swear, never, ever again, any of these things. And, like, that was what it took. Like, God put me in this place. I ditched all of my druggy friends, and I ended up alone. I was still going to school, and I would see them every now and then. I was like, hey, man, how's it going, you know, and I'd walk by, but I didn't hang out with those guys anymore because I quit doing drugs, and that's all we did. Um, I was going to the congregation where I grew up, and there was this dude that came in from out of town, and he had decided that he needed to start up a young adults group at the at the congregation, so... I had this compulsion inside me that was like, you need to go do this. And I don't remember why, but the Broncos were playing on a Saturday. And I like, 
had started watching the Broncos, I was like, I need a thing. The Broncos is a thing. I should try that. You know, so I was like really into it at the time. And just I decided to leave. My family was like, where are you going? The Broncos are on. And I was like, I got I to go do this thing. You know, and I went. And this group of people became my family. They brought me in and they included me and I was invited and we did stuff, not even fun stuff, just stuff, stuff. And um, that's how I got into this. That dude that started that young adults group, a couple years later, he made Aliyah and he moved to Israel to go do ministry in Israel. And I was freaked out again. I was like, man, this thing can't end. Like, if you leave, somebody has to do this thing. And if it's not somebody else, then it has to be me. Like, I just, I can't let this go. And he looked at me and he was like, yeah, I guess you're the guy. And I was like, shit. (laughs) Me and my stupid mouth again. But that's how I got into this gig is I just found this family. And it was so very important to me that I needed to keep it going. And so... I just wang chung it. I figured it out. I tried to like run this group, and that group went for went for a while, probably like six years, seven years, and uh, eventually I ended up here at Scum, and they were like, "Hey, you do the thing. You should be on staff." And then the rest is history. But that's how I got into it. And I tell this guy this story, and he was like, "Wow, man, that's so cool." I'm an agnostic. <laughs> you know, he's like, I'm about love. I'm about loving people. You know, that's what we should do. And he has all of the arguments and all of the right things and all the stuff that I've been saying. And he's like, Jesus, he had it going on. You know, like everything he says is what I do. I'm just agnostic. And I was like, dude, like, that's great. The way you're living is correct. But there's this one thing, it's called faith. Like, that's the rub. That's the linchpin, you know, like, you can't just be a good person and make it work. Like, you need Jesus. You need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior for this to work. And that man has the gospel now. He doesn't believe, but he knows, you know. And maybe next week when I go there, he'll have that question for me, and I can answer that to him, you know. Um There's two things that I want you to take home from this sermon tonight. The first one is shine your light. Like, go there. Be good to people that you do not know. Do it on purpose. Um, Tell them your story. Each of us have a story. That story is my story. You can't, well, you could tell them my story if you want, but you could just be like, yeah, I know this guy, and he got on drugs, and he freaked him out. But um, you can go tell them your story. Each of us have one. And that's my phone that just went off. Um, But we each have a story. Story night is a thing that we here at SCUM value highly. About once a quarter, so four times a year, we have story night, and we invite people from the congregation to tell us their story. And that's what we have. There's this thing, like, in the Christianese, it's called, give them your testimony, right? Or, like, go witness to people. And those are like court, courtroom terms, right? So the testimony is the guy goes and he testifies and he didn't turn off his phone yet. And um, <laughs> give me a minute. Great. So the guy goes and he testifies and he gives account of what he saw, right? It may or may not be what actually happened, but he gives account of what he saw. So you don't have to have 
all of the angles covered, you just say, God did this in my life. Jesus was here this time. I was this, and then I was that. And that's the part of your story that you need to tell. You need to let them know, these people out in the world, that you are different somehow. That is through your story. That is the, the witness on the stand. Like we call our next witness, Stephen, his drug story. You know? The, next, the other thing that I want you to take home is to love each other. Um, Jesus says in John 13, um, A new command I give you today, to love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. He says love four times in that sentence, right? Like, and it's a commandment. He says, I give you a commandment to love one another. Like, this is not an option. Like, do this or go to your room. You know, like, it's like, you have to do this thing. And he says, love one another three times. And like, I don't know, I'm not into like numerology and all of that weird stuff. But like, when God says stuff three times, it's important. Like, like in case you didn't hear me the second time, here's a third time because you're stupid and you need to hear it three times. I'm stupid, I need to hear it three times sometimes. Um, I want you to invite and include people that walk through those doors. Like, be that guy. Be McCloskey. He's a weirdo. Be Eric Webb. He's less of a weirdo. Like, invite people to be in your life. We are family and we do stuff together. Like, be those people that invited me to their small group and included me in this thing. They'll leave the Broncos behind like everybody else this year. Um... (laughs) But someone did that for me, and I know what it means, so I shouldn't be stingy with the gift that was given, and I should pay it forward. Um, Give it away for free. Because that's what we do, because Jesus did that first. We are representatives of Christ, and this is how we show it. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your love. I thank you for the person of you that is love. That God is love and you have given us that. I have received love from people. I have received your love from people. And I have received your love directly from you. And I know how wonderful and good that is, God. I just, I want that for everyone here. I want that for everyone in this town, for in this world, to know you, God. To be loved by you. To understand that you made them on purpose. That they are valuable. That they are precious to you. That you give a shit. I love that, God. And I want that for everyone. I ask that you would bless this communion, bless this time of worship, and bless the rest of this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.